Good morning to you. In Jesus' wonderful, glorious name, we sang the word glorious many, many times in that song. That's a, that song was about 75 years old. You know, there are songs that are 200 years old, 500 years old. And uh, I don't know if it was too repetitious for you. Some people criticize new songs saying there's too much repetition. But we can never repeat the glorious name of Jesus too often. Father, glorify your name, Jesus prayed. And that's in the Gospel of John where we're going to go this morning to uh, join in with Jesus and just take a look into his heart. John 17. This is the longest recorded prayer that Jesus prayed. He also prayed the shortest prayer in the Bible, and it was, uh, I guess, one word in Greek which meant, be open to the man he was healing. There's uh, longer prayers in the Bible than John 17. In the Old Testament, there's at least two prayers that were longer if you count up the words. Nehemiah had a long prayer, and Solomon had a long prayer. But this, for the prayers of Jesus, a fairly long prayer, 26 verses. And uh, the most important part, I believe, of uh, this time we're going to spend together is listening in as Jesus prays. And you, you've listened in sometimes on other people as they pray, haven't you? They didn't know you were listening. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, to hear what people are praying. Oh, they're praying. This morning, Alex did that. And I just, today, I just have to say, I feel so prayed for. I feel so happy to be here. Uh, you all just prayed for me. But before the service, <laughs> Alex came in and to the upper room where some of us were praying, and uh, all of a sudden, he's listening to a prayer. But then, uh, by and by, he joined us, and he put his arm around me, and he prayed for me this morning. Thank you, Alex. That was very, very, very encouraging. And I've asked Eric Oberholzer if he would pray for me. I just need a lot of prayer. Do you ever feel like you need a lot of prayer? Well, there's people in this building, in this community, who will pray for you and you need prayer. Many of you here have done that. You know who you are. I've come to different people and said, I just need you to pray for me. And so what a blessing when people will just say, yeah, let's pray right now. One time we were visiting a church, a church in Maryland about 20 years ago. And I was talking to a complete stranger after church. We were on the back row. He was on the second back row. I think he went to that church. And I was telling him about how the sermon had ministered uh, to my needs. And, and I was telling him a little about things I was going through at that time. And he just said, well, why don't I pray for you right now? What a blessing. I also, one time, about 30 years ago now, was in the bathroom getting ready to take a test, and I was so nervous, I was so scared, and lo and behold, the door opened and in came a classmate, actually he was the next class ahead of me, and, and I said, I'm about to take this practical exam, I am so scared. So we prayed right there, right in the bathroom, in front of the uh, mirror and the sink. It was a blessing. So... Uh, Today, like I said, the best part of this time is going to be we're going to listen as Jesus is praying this longest recorded prayer in the Bible. It's usually divided into three parts. The first five verses, Jesus is praying for himself. He's praying, God, glorify 
you yourself through me. Glorify me that I can glorify you. And then he prays for the eleven disciples who were listening. Because Judas had already left to go to betray him. But Jesus prayed for those eleven disciples in verses 6 through 19. And then, the last verses, 20 through 26, who does he pray for? Somebody shouted out, who does he pray for? He prays for us. That's why uh, this prayer has been called, Ray Sedman called this prayer, the longest prayer, because it has reached all the way down through 21 centuries. This prayer is still going on. And I like to believe Jesus is still praying it today. Because Hebrew says he ever lives to make intercession for us. So what is he praying for us up there in heaven now? Maybe we can get some clues from this prayer. What all is Jesus praying for? I made a, a list of seven things and then ten things. And if you have uh, pens and paper, as I see a bunch of you do, uh, mark your Bibles up, write things down around this prayer, and just be blessed as you think about Jesus praying for us. Now, it's possible... Somebody's here and forgot their Bible, so I have a few sheets of this. Some of you came all the way from Montana, Haiti, and I just want to welcome each of you. Actually, Ricky John and a couple guys, if you want to walk around. If you don't have a Bible, we have some pages with the Bible written on. just want to say today, this is a kind of a side note, I'm feeling at home here today. And as Jesus prays for us, I just, uh, my prayer is that everyone here will feel at home in the presence of Jesus. Yeah, Casey and Ricky John, just circulate around. If you don't have your Bible, raise your hand. I'm feeling at home in the presence of Jesus, hearing him call me his own, just feeling at home, feeling at home. Putting my feet right under Jesus' table, knowing I won't be alone, just feeling at home, feeling at home. You couldn't have told me I find what I found, contentment and peace from above. Feeling at home in the presence of Jesus, laying way back in His love. Warming myself by the fires of His Spirit, camping right close to the throne, just feeling at home. Feeling at home. Feeling at home in the presence of Jesus, needed and happy and free, just feeling at home. Feeling accepted, loved, and forgiven. A part of his warm family, just feeling at home. I'm feeling at home. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote that song. You know, there's nobody that understands it like Jesus does. So when we join Jesus in prayer, uh, we can know he's going to accept us. He understands our needs. And we come with many different needs today, don't we? We already prayed about some of them. But there's a lot of other needs that weren't mentioned today. We each have them. And Jesus is there in heaven interceding for us, knowing what our needs are. So if you found John 17 in your Bible, we'll stand together. Brother Eric's going to read the scripture for us and then have a little prayer. And then we'll look at a few details of this prayer. But the most important is, is just let Jesus' words Jesus' prayer minister to you from John 17. 
Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given. And this given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory which I had with you before the world was. I manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the word has hated them. The world has hated them, because they are not of the world just as I am out of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am out of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may be may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, and they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, and they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and I have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have I known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, the love with, with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, thank you for today. Thank you for each person here. Um, thank you for Jesus, our intercessor. Thank you for the, the prayers that you prayed for his disciples and all future disciples of his. He prayed for us. Thank you for that. 
God, I pray that as Jesus once prayed, that we can be one with each other as you are one with Jesus, and that in you, and we can be one in you. Pray for Dan as he preaches the rest of his message. Open our hearts and minds to the word which he presents to us, um, especially this, this prayer of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. You may be seated. <clears throat> I first uh, realized that this was a fantastic prayer of Jesus about 20 years ago when Jim Gehring preached a sermon on it, and he was kind of geared towards the church. Jesus praying for the church, the, the uh, protection of the church, the sanctification of the church, the unification of the church, the glorification. I'm not sure. He had a lot of uh, points, and I thought, wow, Jesus really is praying for the church, and he is. And that's the last section. Well, actually, the last two sections. But these sections kind of flow together. Because even in that first section, Jesus is praying for himself as the hour has come that he was to go to the cross. And why did he go to the church? I mean, why did he go to the, the cross? He went to the, church, the cross because of us, because of our sins. So he really was praying for himself that he could do what God wanted him to do. So that men and women, boys and girls, all down through time could be saved. So there's some overlap in the different sections, but mainly I'm going to talk about the first five verses, and I've entitled it, Jesus Prays for God's Glory. This is such a, uh, a lot of material here. Uh, the last sermon, I think I've only heard two sermons on this whole chapter. The first was by Jim Gary 20 years ago, and... Um, the last year, I've been trying to incorporate this prayer in my own prayer life, realizing that Jesus in heaven, I believe, is praying this. I want to pray this. And so I've done a lot of attempts at trying to bring my prayer life alongside of Jesus in the last year. But I have heard a second sermon on this, and it was yesterday by Ray Fedman, who died about 25 years ago. He was quite an evangelical uh, pastor and author. Some of you may have read some of his things. And, and he titled this The Longest Prayer because it's not only as long as in time, but he said it's longest in words, and we get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus and what Jesus and God were trying to accomplish in Jesus' 33 years on earth. Uh, he also started his message by saying, we're going to do a broad sweep of this whole prayer, and I've, you'll have to forgive me for cutting out some details. I'd like to go into a lot more details. But he said, what I have to do in preaching on this passage is akin to being given a one-gallon bucket and being told to empty the Pacific Ocean in one hour. And uh, he was referring, I think, to the greatness of Jesus' love. We, we just can never wrap our minds about how wonderful the love of Jesus is, the scope of it, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, the width, as we read in Ephesians. But Paul says, I'm praying that you can understand it. And I'm hoping and praying today that we could just get a glimpse of the love of Jesus in a little better way today as we listen, and we have listened to his prayer. So, I'm going to go ahead and read a little summary. I have a uh, little problem, uh, some of you, I know Nan knows, some of you know too, that I kind of get into stories and whatnot, and there's a lot of stories about prayer, 
And, and I get sidetracked on these rabbit trails. Uh, and I never get to the last page of my notes. So I'm going to read a few paragraphs off the last page of my notes, which I wrote probably about a week ago. I want to remind us that Jesus is still praying for us. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus invites us to pray with him, and he has given us the Holy Spirit to help us in our prayers. Romans, 6, 20, Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In this prayer, John 17, Jesus is praying for the glory of God to be realized now and throughout all eternity. The glory of God the Father, revealed through Jesus God the Son, and shared with all believers glorious eternal life, glorious salvation, by grace through faith in Jesus. This eternal life, you'll notice in these verses, is protected by the name of Jesus. We know from other scriptures it's protected by the blood of Jesus. It's bought by the blood of Jesus. The eternal life we have is purchased by Jesus' blood. This eternal life is protected by the truth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God living within each of us draws us to Jesus. Jesus is praying that we would be sanctified, that is, set apart to work for Him. Washed from our sins. Set apart or sanctified also relates to our mission. We are given the glorious mission of proclaiming the good news of salvation through Jesus. Jesus is praying that believers, we, would be related to one another with a supernatural unity. Supernatural meaning we, we can't come up with it, but He, through the Holy Spirit, can draw us to one another and to other believers that will bring glory to God and attract even more people to believe in Jesus. They will know that we are Christians by our love for one another, Jesus said somewhere else. And then in this prayer He said, more people are going to get saved because their observation of how those Christians get along. And at the very end, you'll see the word love. This prayer of Jesus is motivated by His amazing, glorious love. Love for God the Father and love for sinners like us. The love of God motivated the whole plan of salvation from start to finish. And God's love will endure forever. It will never fail. That love of God is in our hearts now. By the Holy Spirit, it's a glorious love. And we can know this love, we can know this glory now, at least partially, till we get home with Jesus. And that's in the prayer, too. Jesus, toward the end of the prayer, is praying, Father, I want them up here with me. I want them home. We're going to have a reunion a glorious reunion where they can see uh, your glory. All right, let's go to verses 1 to 5 now. Jesus spoke these words after he and the disciples were in the upper room. 
That's in John 13. He then, uh, after he washed their feet and talked to them about servanthood, he talked to them about other things too, about the Holy Spirit's going to come and be with you, about the abiding in him, the vine and the branches. And maybe they were actually walking along from the upper room toward the Garden of Gethsemane when he talked about the vine and the branches. We don't know. He might have even grabbed a branch and they might have just stopped there and he talked about it. Because if you look in John, if you page back, uh, John 14, the end of the chapter, he said, Arise, let us go from here. So they left the upper room at the end of 14. And then... Uh, John 18, after this prayer, Jesus started moving toward the brook Kidron. He was going out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray where he would be arrested. So it was just a very painful night, very long night that started with the disciples in the upper room and such rich teaching. John 13, 14, 15, 16. And then this prayer in 17, just an amazing read to, to just uh, listen to Jesus' heart as he's teaching and then as he's praying, uh, knowing what's ahead. Verse 1 here, he's saying, the hour has come. What hour is he talking about? The hour of suffering and death. He uses the word hour, not meaning 60 minutes, but he meant this time has come. It, it actually was six hours of suffering on the cross before he died, and it was many hours through the night of suffering and trial. And he was praying. He just needed help to get through this. Have you ever faced something that you think, how in the world am I going to get through this? Jesus, pray for me. Help me. Christians, pray for me. So Jesus is looking up he had this amazing relationship with God. In fact, we could look through this prayer and talk about a relationship. Jesus and the Father just had an open relationship. I would tell as a child to close my eyes when I pray, and that's, a, that's fine. It helps little children not get so distracted. Fold your patties and close your eyes. Those hands can reach out to other people, right? So it was good, good advice my parents had. But Jesus, he looked up into heaven right into the face of God, because there was nothing between them. He said, God, I need you in this hour. And this prayer continued, I believe, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it even became more difficult. He started sweating blood. And he ended, I guess, segments of that prayer by saying, not my will, my human will would be to not have to go through this experience, but God, your will is what I want more than my will. Turn back to John 12. Jesus was already praying some of this stuff and struggling, struggling, struggling with what laid ahead of him. John 12, 23. Jesus was talking to these Christians who were looking for the Messiah. And he, he answered them, the hour is come, John 12, 23, that the Son of Man should be glorified. This hour was, was right uh, maybe a day or two ahead. I'm not sure of the exact time, but it was certainly in the last week of Jesus' life. They were in Jerusalem. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth or loves his life less in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Jesus was thinking about himself, I believe, as he was saying this. He was about to not love his life so much as he loved our life. He was willing to choose death so that we could live. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. So Jesus was about to face the biggest crisis of his whole life, the suffering and death. The main reason he came was to suffer and die and rise again for people, for us, for the sinners of the world. And then, here's the trouble of his soul, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I came unto this hour. So here's another prayer of Jesus. Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I came to this hour. So I wrote in my Bible some time ago, Father, save me from this hour was Jesus' human shrinking. I wrote human shrinking. The human part of Jesus, because Jesus was 100% human. He was shrinking back. He was not wanting to do this. And it continued in the Garden of Gethsemane with the prayers. And then the next part, but for this cause, came I unto this hour. That was, I wrote in my Bible, divine will. This was the divine part of Jesus saying, Father, I'm going to do this. This is our plan. We planned it from way back before creation. <clears throat> and then this wonderful prayer that Sister Wendy puts in her emails, and I love it. Father, glorify thy name. And what happened when he prayed that? An amazing thing, verse 28. Father, glorify their name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the people that stood by heard it, and they thought, was it thunder? What was that? There was something. But it was the voice of God the Father blessing his son. So Jesus goes on, encouraged them through with that blessing, even as he was encouraged at his baptism, when the Father spoke, saying, this is my son, hear him. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, with Peter, James, and John, when there was a voice that Peter said, we heard the voice saying, this is God's son. This is not an ordinary man. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the Deliverer. So back to our text chapter, John 17. I just found it interesting, the section on John 12 fit in so well with this. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and says, Father, the hour's come. Please glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. Now what is this? word glory mean? Glory or glorified is used eight times in this prayer. It's a, a Latin or a Greek word that uh, actually in our English we would translate it probably doxology. And we know about that. It's a song of praise. And the word glory means from the Greek dictionary I looked at, to praise, to extol, to magnify, to celebrate, to hold in honor, to cause the dignity or worth of some person or thing to become manifest or acknowledged. 
Another Greek dictionary word helps that glorifying God means to value Him for who He really is. It means to personally acknowledge His true character. Jesus glorified the Father on earth. He said, I glorified you here on earth. He did in His life, in His teaching, and He was going to do it on the cross. He was going to bring God glory through that horrible pain and suffering of the cross because through that pain and suffering, Millions of people had the chance of eternal life, including us. By believing on Him, we can be saved, and it's to His honor and glory that that salvation comes. He also prayed, Father, I want to go back to the glory I had before with you, before the creation. Um, and so, there's kind of two places of Jesus' glory in heaven with creation, <clears throat> creation glory as a creator, and then on earth as a redeemer, dying on the cross for our sins. This glory I was uh, thinking about started in Genesis 1-3, when the world was, was, had been created, but it was dark. It wasn't light. In fact, in other words, the glory could be light. In Genesis 1-3, God said, Jesus said, let there be light. And it was an amazing, dazzling light. And all through the Bible, whenever God came near, there was light. It was so bright that people didn't even want to look at Moses' face after he was talking with God on the mountain. They said, put some kind of veil in front of your face. We just can't stand this brightness. And all the way to the end of the Bible, there's a city of light amid the stars, we are told, where they know not a sorrow or care. And the gates are a pearl and the streets are a gold. And the, the city, the buildings, the buildings are exceedingly fair. So glory has to do with shining. And uh, Revelation 22, that last chapter, starts out by John saying, I saw a river clear as crystal. That's pretty wonderful, isn't it? So you can see right to the bottom, it was so clear, so bright. So I wrote in big words here on this page four of my notes. To glorify God is to make God shine. When we glorify God, we are living in such a way that we're making God look good. That's what he wants from all of us. What is the chief end of man? There's an old instruction question and answer thing called the Westminster uh, Catechism, that what it's called. And the first question of all the questions on there is, what is the chief purpose or the chief end of man? And there's two parts to it. Who wants to tell us what it is? Maybe some of you went through this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And these two things, glorifying God and enjoying Him, go hand in hand. Sometimes I think we like to uh, let Satan discourage us by thinking that if I live for God, I'm going to miss out on all this fun. Either live for God or live for me. Well, actually, living for God is the most joyful and wonderful way to live. John Piper's ministry has really highlighted that for us. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. 
And Jesus, even though he was going through this experience of suffering, he was satisfied to do God's will. And for the joy that was set before him, knowing that once the cross and the suffering was over, the joy would be unbelievable. So it is with us. I don't know what you're facing this week, but as you push through this week with God's help, uh, you will experience huge joy that is so much better than trying to live for yourself. We were made to glorify and praise God. Early this week, I was sitting at the, the hospital with a man who had lost a, a lot of health in the last week. He, but as we were talking, and I met with him different days, I was the hospitalist. He lost things other than health. He lost, he was an older man, as most of the patients are, quite a bit older. Probably as old as, older than everybody here, maybe except a couple of you. Uh, he lost his home. And he had a church. He lost a lot of family, but somebody's church was trying to help him with his finances, and it seemed like he was losing a lot of his finances. And he said, I don't want to take this person to the court. We're brothers in the church. And I thought, that's good. He's been studying Corinthians, right? We studied that in Sunday school. We could work out our differences. And uh, so I was trying to encourage just by listening. Some of the best ways we can bring glory to God is by listening to other people, isn't it? Giving a listening ear. And he said, you know, every morning the only way I can get through the day is I start praising God. He said, Jesus is the only one worthy of praise. And every morning I need to just start praising God. That's bringing God glory, isn't it? But there seems like there's something that blocks it. Every morning I need to push through. It's like something is blocking. What do you think is blocking? Just seems to be hard every day to start praising God. So I listened to him, and after a bit he said, I think maybe it's Satan that's blocking it. And certainly Satan is against us. He wants to block all the praise and all the glory to God. I said, yeah, I think that's true. And I said, for me, I face the same thing of needing to praise the Lord and yet feeling that it's easy to be thinking about myself and my own ideas and my own problems. I said, there's uh, this self within me that also blocks the praise that I'm to do. So Satan without and our self within. I think those are two big blocks to glorifying God, at least uh, in this man's life and in my life. I don't know about you. What all is blocking the praise and the glory that should be flowing from your life to God? But God is worthy of all praise. So Jesus prayed for God's glory. He prayed for his disciples for those who have trusted in Him for their unity, for their protection, for joy, for their sanctification, meaning set apart for a mission, set apart from sin. We usually think about sanctification as being apart from sin, but actually the meaning here may be stronger that set apart to serve Him, just like the chair you're sitting on, has been set apart. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's holding a worshiper. 
the comb that you picked up to comb your hair did what it was supposed to do. And we as believers, we are set apart to praise God. So Sister Martha is painting the light of God shining down on sparrows with that message. His eye is on the sparrow. God is shining through you and through your work. And God wants us, as Jesus said, to let our light shine so that people around us will see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. So all the glory finally goes to God. But God and Jesus have wanted to share that glory with us. He said they didn't need to, but they want to share their glory. So let Jesus shine through you this week. I have a closing uh, verse here from a doxology. If you have an NIV Bible, you'll see in uh, Romans, there's a section in Romans that's called the doxology of the praise. Too many papers here. It's on page eight. Aren't you glad I'm missing, uh, skipping five, six, and seven? Here it is, page eight. And then uh, Jerry's going to lead us in some more praise. So here it is, doxology from Romans 11, 33 to 36. I'm going to just read the start verse and the finished verse. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. For from him, verse 36, and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen.